Father, may your spirit hold our hearts, minds, bodies, and spirits captive to your word so that we will cooperate with you in any changes you want to make in our lives. That is a prayer. But that's what we do. Every time we gather as God's people in a room, whether it's a big room, a small room, whether we're doing it online, whatever we're doing, we are actually asking God to hold our hearts, our minds, our beings captive to his word so that any change that he wants to make in us will happen. As a young man, I had the opportunity through, uh, through certainly through the Bible college where I was a student and then a member of the staff, to meet many older men and women who were godly, who taught me much about prayer by observing their lives and by listening to their prayers. One of these was J. Oswald Sanders. Some of you who are older, like myself, would know who I'm talking about. All of you who are younger, probably going, who? Right. Well, J. Oswald Sanders was a, a gracious, spiritual man, known right across the world, North America, Africa, Asia, the Pacific, Europe. It was a wonderful man. He was an author. He was a Bible teacher. He was respected across the globe, and if he was still alive tonight, today, and in this congregation, he would be standing up here to talk about prayer. Uh, Inake would not have stood up. Stan would not stand up next week either, because we would defer to the man. At my time at Albert Park in 1990, he came one Sunday afternoon to run a seminar on prayer. And this is what he said. I have prayed. I do pray, but I wish I prayed better. And I'm sitting there at 43 years old, knowing this man, he stands up and he begins what he's going to say on prayer with these words. I pray, I have prayed, I do pray, but I wish I prayed better. And those words have always, for me, summed up my prayer life, as I have looked at my prayer life. I do pray, I have prayed, but I always have a sense that I would love to pray better. And I'm sure everybody in this room who are followers of Jesus would echo that sentiment. So what I hope happens this morning, it's what my prayer is, it's what, what, what I, I, I trust that God is going to do for all of us, is to help us to pray better. So we're looking today at the priority of prayer. So what do we need to remind ourselves? Well, the first thing is the priority of prayer. So what do we need to know about this? Firstly, that prayer is a constant everyday occurrence in the big biblical story. You understand that in this book, Right, from the first page to the last page, it is one continuous story. It's got lots of little stories, and not so little stories in it, but it is one continuous story. It is a story of God made everything, and he's going to remake everything. And the story is, it got messed up, God spent lots of time trying to get people to fix it, which they didn't. And so finally he sends his son. 
who dies on a cross, and that's why I got the cross there, who dies on a cross so that God could fix it all again. That's the big story. And when you read that story, you find from the first pages in Genesis, God speaks to his creation. He gives instructions to the human beings that he has created. And in the very last pages of the Bible, you find God speaking again. He speaks constantly. He talks to those he has made. And the embracing thing is that he expects us to talk to him. In the garden, after the man and the woman had blown it, God comes looking for them and he says, where are you? He calls to us looking for response. Michelle, your testimony was brilliant. And remember when I said out there, it causes us all to think about who've been where you've been, our own baptism, and I listened to you and there were echoes of my own testimony in what you said before I became a believer. But there was something powerful in what you said. I hope you picked up that what was happening, that as she was seeking God and talking to him, he was listening and he responded. And that's why you're here. Because what you didn't know you were doing is that you were praying to him in your thinking. And he heard you. And he called you to himself. It took a while, but he got you there. And for those of you who haven't done Alpha, and you're seeking to know more about Jesus, talk, may I say, think about doing it. That was a plug. So, God wants us to talk to him. And when we read the stories of the individuals in the Bible and, and the communities that make up the big story, that's Israel and the church, we find that prayer is central in their lives. And it's the record, when we read the scriptures, the record of these prayers teaches us that there is nothing in our lives that cannot be brought to God. When we read the stories of the individuals in the Bible, we discover that their prayers were often personal, covering every aspect of human existence. For example, they share their joys, they share their pain, they share their confusion, they share their complaints. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a real complaint, folks. That's telling God, I don't know what you're doing, God, but I do not like it. And he is so big. He is so big, so vast, so glorious that you can complain to him. Right? And he doesn't mind. Ever thought of that? Teresa of Avila, who was a famous uh, Carmelite nun in the late Middle Ages, lady of prayer. One day it's recorded, she was going somewhere in the cart she was in, uh, that was in there, got stuck in the mud and it could not move. And it's recorded, she stood there and she yelled out to God, I can see that you do not have too many friends if this is the way you... Sorry, start again. I can see why you have so many enemies because this is the way you treat your friends. That's a lady of faith that knew that she could address God in that way. 
We read in the Psalms of emotional emptiness. We read of disappointment with people, of depression. Disappointment with people and with God, but we also read of thankfulness. And we read of them asking God to do things that only he could do. They prayed for the world. They prayed for the people of God. They prayed for God to deal with their enemies and much, much more. May I encourage you to read the Psalms silently and out loud and to understand that the authors of the Psalms are open and honest in their relationship with God. They held nothing back. Do you hold things back from God in your prayer? Do you think God wouldn't be interested in anything that you, that's, that's grabbing hold of you? The Psalms tell you not to. So when, they, when we read these prayers, they teach us one of the most important things that, sorry, that our prayers must be honest. Our prayers must always be honest. Genesis 18, Abraham talks to God when they're looking down at Sodom and Gomorrah because God's told Abraham what he's about to do and Abraham honestly asks God, are you going to do this if there are 50 righteous people? And God says no and he keeps asking that same question until it gets to the point that Abraham has accepted that God's actions are right. Right at the start of that prayer, Abraham is questioning whether what God is about to do is right. That's why he asks. Moses in chapter 3 and 4 of Exodus sees the burning bush. God calls to him and Moses has a conversation with God in which he's basically telling God, I don't want to do this. And God deals with him because God says, yes, you are, but he deals with him very graciously. Friends, it's okay to say to God, I don't want to do something, provided you are prepared to actually finally submit to him. These two men are later called in Scripture friends of God. We read in the Scriptures of David and Solomon. We read in the Scriptures of Nehemiah, also people of honest, open prayer. And in this script, this is a plug, in the quiet time tool of prayer, if you read through, and I did it, I actually looked at all of them in one hit. When you look at them, you see that the selection of prayers in this quiet time tool picks up the honesty in prayer that people have. The four Gospels, when we read the four Gospels, we discover, as we would expect, that Jesus prayed all the time. Everything he did was based in prayer. Everything he taught was based in prayer. One of the prayers that are found in Matthew, Mark and Luke, all three Gospels, is the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. I love this prayer because Jesus comes to God and he says, Father, is there a plan B? Because if there is, let's go for it. But you see, God heard that prayer. He didn't rebuke him because what Jesus had in mind was that the most important thing is for him to go with the plan that God had set out. But it didn't stop him dealing with the fact that inside him there was the question, is there another way? And I love that because I so often, often, Say to God, is there another way? And then this prayer comes to me, not my will, but yours be done. 
I can also say with total confidence that prayer, both personal and in community, has been and always will be central in the life and mission of God's people who are followers of Jesus. From the day of Pentecost until this very day, everyone who is a follower of Jesus today is only following Jesus because people prayed for them. As I sat and thought about this congregation, we have people from Africa, South America, North America, Asia, in all the various parts of Asia, and from the Middle East, and from Europe. But every one of you who is a follower of Jesus, there is someone in your family tree somewhere, or in your friendship connections, who prayed for you to become a believer. I always say I stand here because people prayed for me. Nobody, nobody comes to Christ without somebody praying. Some of those prayers. Now, for our brothers and sisters from, from Africa and Asia, brothers and sisters, there were people that prayed for centuries for the countries of Africa and Asia that people would follow Christ. They didn't necessarily pray for individuals, but they prayed for nations. And so we are here for that. That's to encourage us. But, but what does that mean? It means that prayer is not an optional extra for followers of Jesus. It's central to what it means. Karl Barth, major theologian of the 20th century, said this, it is not possible for us to pray to say, sorry, it's not possible for us to say, I will pray or I will not pray, as if it were a question of pleasing ourselves. To be a Christian and to pray mean the same thing, and not a thing that can be left to our own wayward impulses. It is rather a necessity as breathing is a necessity to life. Is necessary to life, sorry. I like to breathe. I mean, obviously, when I was a kid, I used to hold my breath. But I like to breathe because it keeps me alive. When I pray, when I talk with God, I am kept alive spiritually. And what is true for me is true for all of us. That is why prayer is really the number one priority for all followers of Jesus. As we pray, we get to grow in our relationship with God. We discover that there is always more to know of God. More about Jesus would I know, says the old gospel song. There is always more to God, know of God. That is, we, we discover what he wants for us in the living relationship we have with him. Now there is a purpose in our relationship with God the Father he wants us to become more like Jesus. Simple, right? If you want to know what it is to be a follower of Jesus, it's very simple. God wants you to become more like him. That's why you're following him. You're following him because as you follow him, you learn more about him and you learn what he did, what he said, how he lived, and you want to be like him. And God says, good. That's why I've given you the Spirit. It is the hope, work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that, that 
enables us to be more like Jesus and it's when we pray that we open up to the Spirit of God. What should our prayers include? Well, firstly, praise and thanksgiving. Praise for who God is and thanksgiving for what he has done. Simple. The Bible's full of the things that you can pray about. Thanksgiving also for answered prayers. If we want to grow in our relationship with God, we need to get into the habit of asking God to show us if there are things in our lives he is unhappy with. Now notice this. David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That's at the bottom of Psalm 139. Now, I want to tell you something really, really important. Okay? When you ask God to show you, you're not saying, I'm going to have a look. If I look at my life, I can find a list that long that I think God is unhappy with. But when I ask God to show me what he's unhappy with, he might only tell me something. Because what God shows us, right, that he's unhappy with only comes when we are ready to hear it. I was at prayer ministry school, my first prayer ministry school. And in the sessions that I had, as people were praying with me and I was praying with them, I came to realise that I hated myself. Thursday night, uh, this was during the day, Thursday night, my friend Kevin came down with uh, people that were brought in on Thursday night to be prayed with. And Kevin came, he said, how's it going? I said, Kevin, I'm excited. He said, what's up? I said, God, show me I hated myself. And Kevin said, oh, he showed me that six months ago, but he told me that you weren't ready to hear it yet. See, brothers and sisters, when you ask God to show you if he's unhappy with you, if you don't hear anything, say thank you and move on. But if he just show you something, what it will mean is that you are ready to deal with it. Agree with him. Ask for forgiveness. Move on. Give thanks for forgiveness. Ask for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to improve, to increase. Ask the Holy Spirit each day to grant you the gifts and graces that you need in order to live and serve him, serve God. Ask the Holy, say the Holy Spirit every day, Holy Spirit, going to cooperate with you today. So the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, is going to be produced in my life. Pray for others. Plug, second plug. Right? Actually, it's the third one. I did one earlier. The third one. Whoever produced this uh, 21 days guide for prayer, well done. If we kept using this for a full year, and roughly say, but no, 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 but 200, 300 people in this room, I don't know how many there is. If we all did this for a full year, I calculated that these points on, these, on this card there will be over 50,000 prayers for these things. A concerted effort of prayer and praying for others. And praying for others opens us up 
to new things for God. When we pray, we need to remember that there are strict rules of how we should... Uh, sorry, my text is not right. I've left out a knot. I left out a knot. Oh, let's start again. When we pray, we need to remember that there are no strict rules on how we should pray. Right? No strict rules. There's good advice given. Advice that we should take to heart. For example, C.A. Spurgeon says, when we pray, the simpler our prayers are the better. The, better. the plainest, humblest language which expresses our meaning best. Keep it simple, folks. Right? We pray best when we use the words and phrases that we understand. Yeah. Means plain English for those of us who are not. Uh, native English speakers. It means in the language that you, you know best, the one that you feel most comfortable with, the simplest language. Our prayer should also not focus on getting things for ourselves, although it is quite right to ask for things for ourselves. But it means we can't be solely focused on ourselves. Oswald Chambers says, prayer is not getting things from God. It's getting into perfect communion with God. When we pray, we should pray with the understanding that being in conversation with God, in communion with God, is about changing us. C.S. Lewis says, prayer does not change God, it changes me. This is, only one of the, this is one of the most important things we need to keep on learning. Followers of Jesus are meant to change. Now, it's vitally important for us to continue to grow in our understanding of what Christ's life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension and coming again means for us in our relationship with God. Friends, one of the things that we need to do is got to remember that everything centres on what God achieved with the death of Jesus on the cross. It was the end and also... The beginning. And we need to be people who meditate on these things. That's why I love teaching theology. If we do not understand the changed relationship that God the Father has given to us in Christ, we will have a distorted prayer life because we will beginning to think that God is keeping us at a distance. But once we understand that we have been drawn by God into the fellowship with him, then our prayer life is that God wants to talk with me. Right? That's what you've got to say. God wants to talk to you. But friends, it's better for you to hear it and say to yourself, God wants to talk to me. I was walking the dog a few months back and I was pondering something. It was Sunday afternoon. I can't remember the sermon, all right? So whoever was preaching, got no idea who was preaching. Can't remember. I don't expect you to remember the sermon this morning either. But some point you do, because something was said, and I was walking the dog, and I went, you're my friend, God. You want to be my friend. I was 76. Now, I've always known God was my friend. 
I've always known I was a friend of God, but something tweaked as to what that actually meant. For me. And friends, that's what happens. You keep thinking of these things and God will change you. Now, the scriptures do speak of a radical change that's taken place in us. For example, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. The new life has begun. Ephesians 3.12. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. And then this long passage from, from, from Hebrews. But because Christ Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Jesus, right now, is talking to God about us, about you, about me. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honour in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. When we come to Christ, we are forgiven. When God looks at us, we are forgiven. He does not hold our sins against us. Think about how marvellous that is. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath and his son has been made perfect high priest forever. We are new people. The past is finished and gone. We have the right of access to the throne room of God. All of this because of the death of Jesus. And that death was to deal once and for all time with our sin. His sacrificial death is the guarantee that those who come to God seeking forgiveness for their sin receive that forgiveness. But there's more. We are forgiven Our sin has been dealt with once and for all time. We are brand new persons. We are welcome to stand before the one and only God, the creator of all that exists. Because of all of this, we can stand in the very presence of God. The old Wesley hymn, the line that says, Bold I approach the eternal throne. Not because there's anything in me, but because of what Christ has done. How absolutely comforting it is to know that Jesus is praying for each one of his followers every minute of every day. His commitment to intercede for us is awe-inspiring. There in the presence of God the Father and all the heavenly hosts, Jesus Christ speaks to God on our behalf. And if he's doing that, then that is the motivation for our prayers. Inspired to prayer. Our prayers are significant and precious to God. They ascend before him as a pleasing odour. They are powerful in their effect because he hears them and acknowledges them and acts upon them. And when we look in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 to 5, we see this. Revelation uh, it tells us an angel with a gold incense burner. He comes, stands before God. A great amount of incense is given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people. 
as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke rises up before God. And then the angel pours them out. He fills the burner with coal from the altar, throws it down on the earth, and there's a terrible earthquake. I'm not going to talk about the earthquake. I'll give you an aside. For those of you who worry about the book of Revelation, two things. One, piece of graffiti that was at a camp that I was on about the message of the book of Revelation. Take a look at the back of the book and you find that Jesus wins. When you read the book of Revelation, remember it's a book that is telling you Jesus wins. The other one is God is still on the throne and he will remember his own. He tells you that anything you read in Revelation only happens because God is on the throne and he will look after us. Whichever interpretation of the book you want to take is irrelevant in, this, in what I'm saying, right? You need to grasp, he's telling you that you are safe and secure no matter what happens. And that is an inspiration for prayer. But this passage also tells us that our prayers are important to God. It tells us that our prayers influence the world we live in. It may appear that we are powerless in significant people on the world stage, but we are not. Our prayers are powerful and significant. What an incredible honour it is that we have bestowed upon us as followers Jesus. God declares that our prayers are precious to him. However insignificant you feel, however rejected you feel, however hopeless you feel, whatever it might be, your prayers are welcomed by God and he regards them as being significant enough that the world changes because of them. Next week, Stan's going to speak on the Lord's Prayer. And you'll hear more about that, I'm sure. The glorious truth is, we should do what, he, what James said in his letter. Humble ourselves before God. Resist the devil. The devil will flee. We come close to God and God will come close to us. Submission just means humbling ourselves. That is, we willingly place ourselves under the authority of God. It means that we're prepared to be obedient to the revealed will of God rather than rejecting his will. It means that we have surrendered to God's will and embraced his rule in our life. And this means, right? This means that when we come to God, we know that we are coming to the one who is greater than all we could ever think or imagine. And he, not us, is on the throne. Now we may have uncertainty when we come to pray, that's all right, I often have uncertainty. So sometimes, because sometimes we don't know how to pray because we may be broken inside, we may be confused, we may be uncertain. And when we do that, right, well, we just tell God that's how we feel. And remember that he provides a way for us. In Romans chapter 8, 26 to 27, God says when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us. When we don't have the words, he provides the words. We might not hear them because it's a direct communication between the Spirit 
and God himself. Now friends, we have to understand that God knows that the times when we don't know how to pray, but he is saying to us, Paul is saying to us in these words, God is saying to us, relax, I've got this. Two quick examples of prayer that have inspired me and still do. One is from a devotional by uh, J. Sidlow Baxter. Round about the turn of the 20th century, round about the 1900s, there was a vicar in London. Outside where he was, they were doing roadworks. Lots of, because uh, it's all pick and shovel in those days. And the vicar noticed that one of these guys used to come into the church and he thought, uh-huh, probably checking out the silver candlesticks. So what he did is he won, and he came in the same time every day. So the vicar went, sat down the front, out of sight, to watch this guy come in. And the man comes in, he takes, and it always, this always moves me, takes off his hat, goes to the communion rail, and just says two words, Jesus, three words, Jesus, it's Jim. And stands there for half an hour in silent prayer. A little while later, the vicar heard, hears that this man has been injured in a work accident. So he decides you better go visit him in the hospital. The man was in the men's ward. Terrible place. Big room, lots of beds. And the nurses in that area were given a hard time. They were abused, you name it, by the men. He wasn't looking forward to going to pay the visit. He comes in and it was peaceful. So he says to the head nurse... What's gone wrong? He said, oh, well, it all changed when that bloke came in. So he goes up to Jim and he said, Jim, they're saying it's changed since you've been here. Can you tell me anything about that? He said, well, it's like this, Vicar. Around about 12 o'clock, Jesus comes and stands at the... <laughs> stands at the end of the bed and says... Jim, it's Jesus. See, Jim had understood that prayer was about communion with God. And God understood that prayer was about his communion with Jim. Now, I have no hesitation in saying that's a true story because of the knowledge of the bloke who wrote the devotion. Second one is from this book by Helen Rosevear. Those of you like, if you want to read something inspiring, there are a number of people in the world in my time who've been inspired, who've inspired me and challenged me by what I've read, and Helen Rosevear is one. She's written. This is called Living Faith. She tells a story. She was a, a missionary doctor in the Congo, and I don't know whether whether anyone here this morning is from the Congo. I know we have a few folks in our congregation who had come from the Congo. This was in the 1950s, 60s. And she was a missionary doctor. And there was a, a lady who, uh, a woman who'd given birth, but it was a, bad, a, a difficult birth and she died. Left a two-year-old and this brand new baby that was in strife. And they were seeking to do that. Now, to keep babies alive, they didn't have incubators, no electricity, so they used hot water bottles and cotton wool. And so they were getting all that ready and the lady, come, one of the nurse comes along and says, we don't have a hot water bottle, it's all perished. She goes home for lunch to where all the kids are uh, in the orphanage and they, she's telling them this story and so they pray. 
And one of the little kids called Ruth says, God, we need a hot water bottle. We need it today because tomorrow the baby will be dead. And while you're at it, how about a doll for the new, for the two-year-old so that she'll know Jesus loves her. And Helen Rosevear said, I really couldn't say amen to that basically because we're in the middle of the Congo. Did I have hot water bottles to buy in the middle of the Congo? Where will the hot water bottle come from? Well, she goes back to the hospital, receives a message that a parcel has been dumped on the front porch of the house. She goes back, picks it up, and they start unwrapping it. And it was hand-knitted garments for children and leprosy and bandages and all sorts of things. And this girl, Ruth, says, well, get out the hot water bottle. And there was one. And she said, let's find the doll. And there was. Now, this is an amazing story of how awesome God is. Three months before, approximately three months before, a group of women who knew Helen Rosevear from her student days met together to pack a box of knitted clothes, bandages and other things to send to her. One lady says, I really think God wants me to put a hot water bottle in. And somebody else said, "Ah, look, I'll put a dolly in. Think about that. That God prompted some people three months before the prayer will be uttered for that prayer to be answered. And then think about this. Three months. The timing of it arriving at the right time. How awesome is God? Because that is prayer. And when we think about stories like that, it challenges us to make our prayer life central. For the call to follow Jesus is a call to a life of prayer. It's a prayer that keeps the lines of communication with Jesus open. Being a disciple keeps of the master really means that we keep doing what he wants us to do and prayer is the mean. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you because of all the things that I was trying to think about how to finish, this is what I want to do. So this is something that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Now I'm praying it for myself as well, but for you. If you'd like to stand, feel free to stand. If you'd like to remain seated, feel free to be seated. But Paul prayed this for the church at Ephesus. There is something in praying it over you that I think is significant. So this is what he says. For this reason, and that's all that Christ has done for us, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner person, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that 
Because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And in finally, may this blessing rest upon you all and upon myself. Now to him who by the power that is working within us is able to do far more, far beyond all that we ask or think, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.